the Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. God will not answer two prayers God will not answer before I move into that I want to talk about how God desires to answer you and uh, it's his will to answer you God is a prayer answering God I want you to write that in the comment section God is a prayer answering God God is a prayer answering God. I have seen God answer the craziest prayers. I have seen God answer in the most detailed, specific way. I have seen the Lord do above and beyond all that I could have asked or thought or imagined according to his glorious power at work in us. I've seen the Lord come through to me, come through for me in times where it didn't look like anything was going to pan out. It didn't look like we were going to make it. It didn't look like uh, there was even light at the end of this tunnel. But I've seen the hand of a faithful God. You know, the Bible says God is faithful. He is faithful and he will not allow you to go through something beyond what you're able, but he'll always provide a way of escape. And oftentimes that way of escape is prayer. Prayer provides, it opens up a door where there was no door. It removes mountains. Prayer is a mountain moving force when you pray in faith. Now, prayer by itself won't do anything. Muslims pray, uh, Buddhists pray, or they meditate. People that don't know the Lord pray. pray. So prayer in and of itself is not, doesn't carry any power. It's prayer coupled with faith. And faith in what? Faith in what God did in Jesus. Faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the um, propeller that allows us to generate power in prayer, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Well, how can you be made righteous? The righteousness only comes by acknowledging the resurrection of Christ and believing in it. So the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, James 5.16, availeth much or brings forth many wonderful results. God does not want you just to pray like Muslims pray, where it's just for religious reasons. You know, the studio office that we just rented out that we're going to be in uh, shortly. In case you didn't know, we just rented a studio office that we're building right now. We're renovating it and we're going to make it nice and pretty. And we're going to have those these broadcasts streamed out of that studio office, uh, Lord willing, by the month of August. But understand this. We have this studio office and I look out my window and we, I didn't even know this. We have a mosque. But it's like in like a kind of like a commercial building. So you couldn't tell it was a mosque from the outside. But I looked in. We have a mosque sitting right next to our studio office. And they pray. I mean, I, I'll go into the office to do some patching up work or whatever. And you'll see them walking around and they do their prayer walks. And they pray, they pray. But they don't have testimony services. They don't have uh, testimonies of a miracle working God. They don't have any type of, uh, you know... Uh, the, the imam doesn't get up and say, does anyone have a testimony as to what the Lord's done in your life this week? They don't have that type of service. Why? Because they're not praying to a God that responds. They, they're not praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The psalmist says this. He says, all of the gods of this age, they are the work of men's hands. They have eyes, but they cannot see. 
They're idols. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have hands, but their hands are not mighty to save. They have feet, but their feet cannot cause them to run to your rescue. But the Bible says in Isaiah that we have a God who has a hand that is mighty to save. It's not shortened that it cannot save. He has eyes that he can see what you're going through. He has an ear that is attentive to the cries of the righteous. And he has run. He has feet that are quick to run and swift to run to your rescue. We serve a living God. If you're going to get anything from today, it's that when you pray, you should have the understanding and carry the awareness that I'm not praying to a dead idol. I'm not praying to an ethereal force in the air. I'm not praying to, to some energy. I'm not praying to some heavenly unknowable force. I am praying to the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God that opened the womb of Sarah, the same God that unstopped the deaf ears, the same God that opens blind eyes, the same God that opened the Red Sea so the Israelites passed through on dry ground, the same God that when they prayed, the Bible says that God answered with thunder and he answered with fire. That same God is inclining his ear to the prayers of the righteous. Hallelujah. The prayers of the righteous. God hears you when you pray. You know, when I first got saved and I started going to prayer meetings, I used to hear some people pray and you knew that they understood what I'm talking about. They, you knew that they, they, they knew that God was listening. And I'm not saying it's because they prayed loud. I'm not saying it's because they prayed soft. I'm not saying it's because they ran and jumped and sweated and, uh, uh, you know, did all kinds of charismatic things. I'm not saying that that's why I detected that they understood that God was listening to them. It's just that they carried a weight in their words. There was a pressure that they were exuding from their spirit that you understood that they were not pleading to the air. They weren't like, let's throw some, throw some things up and hope one thing sticks type of people. You could tell by how they prayed, there was a weight in their words that when they spoke, you could tell, you could tell that they had the understanding that they didn't see God as some fictional fairy tale Disneyland character, but that they understood that he truly was listening. And I remember I had a conversation with my father once returning from one of these prayer meetings. And I said, why don't people who claim to be Christians, why, why do they pray with such mundanity, with such religiosity, with such, like if you could put a color to describe their prayer life, it's gray. It's gray. It's neutrality. There's no Hannah. You know, Hannah prayed in desperation and she poured out her soul before the Lord. And the Bible says, Eli, the priest, thought that she was drunk. And she said, I'm not drunk. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. There was a pressure. Elijah, when he prayed, the Bible says he had his head between his knees and he was praying for rain to fall with a divine fervency. The Bible says of Jesus in the days of his flesh. You know, the Bible actually describes how Jesus prayed. Hebrews 5, 7. Hebrews 5, verse 7. It says in the days of his flesh, he prayed with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him and he was heard because of his godly fear. Jesus prayed there wasn't, I mean, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying and drops of blood were sweating down his brow. There was a pressure. Why? Because he understood 
He understood, and, and this is the conversation I had with my father. I said, why do some people, they just pray in mundanity? They just pray these gray prayers, these uh, monotonous, boring, empty, weightless prayers. Like there's, there's nothing to it. And God, we just pray that you would bless pastors so-and-so. We ask you that you would just touch our lives, bless our children, we pray that you... There's no spirit of God. The Bible says pray at all times in the power of the spirit. In the power of the spirit. You can tell there's no spirit in that. There's some people when they go to pray, you tell them we're going to pray for the next half hour. We're going to make it easy on you. We're going to pray for half an hour today. And by minute three, they've ran out of things to pray. How many? I mean, I was like that at one point until I got the fire of the Holy Ghost. I was like that. I'm not trying to say I'm better than you. I'm just saying there's another level to your prayer life. I'm telling you that this should be a fresh news. This should be great news for you today that you don't have to have this born religious mundane prayer life you can have a thrilling exuberant life-filled prayer life where it's ecstatic where it's 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 magnetic where people they 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 know that you have an intimacy with the holy ghost and with god the father you have some people they pray lord we just pray for this they're looking at their clock every five seconds then they pray for everything. They look at the clock. It's only been three minutes. Why? Because God desires to baptize you in the spirit of grace to pray. That's in the book of Zechariah. I will pour out on the descendants of David the spirit of grace and supplication. Supplication is an old fancy term for prayer. A spirit of prayer. You know, I grew up in a in a Pentecostal church, and uh, a lot of them were like first-hand witnesses. When I grew up, eight years old, first-hand witnesses to the Azusa Street Revival, and uh, they were older now. They were eight, in their 80s, but I remember I would step into that Italian service. We had an English service and an Italian service, and I'd just weasel my way into the Italian service, and I would just listen to them pray, and it put the fear of God in me because they were, they were fervent. I mean, the Bible says to not lag in diligence, but to continue steadfastly in prayer. There was a steadfast spirit of prayer in how they spoke. I mean, there, there was this, you could tell that they understood unless God pulls through, then there's no point of even trying in our own self and in our own strength. Unless God does this, unless the Lord labors, we're laboring in vain. You could tell there was this utter dependency upon God doing something. And, and, and it, there was this pressure that they would exude from their spirit. So going back to my, you know, a, a later on in life, I get saved. I go to a prayer meeting. I'm having this conversation with my father now. And I said, why is it that some people, they don't have that don't, and I, used, I told my dad, I said, you know, because I'm freshly saved now. My eyes are open. I've seen the Lord. I, 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 I know he's real. I know he's true. I know he's not a figment of our imagination. And so I asked him, I said, don't these people understand that when you open up your mouth to speak and you pray in the name of Jesus, God already promised. He said, if you ask anything in that name, I will hear you and I will answer you so that your joy may be made full. Do they not believe that? Do they not believe Matthew chapter 7 where it says, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. It doesn't say to certain people. It doesn't say to whom God wills. It says to everyone. I want you to type that in the comment section. Everyone. 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 That means me. 
That means you. That means you, Sharon, Nan, Pop-Tart, Heather, Baptist, Greg, uh, 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 Hillary. That means you. To everyone who asks, he receives. And he who seeks will find, and him who knocks it will be open. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for a bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more? How much more? Doesn't say if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, your father is just as good. No, doesn't say he's on the same level. Doesn't say he's just as willing. He said, how much more willing? How much more willing will, is God to give good things to those who ask him? To those who ask him. So you see, there's this invitation to pray because there's an eagerness in God's heart to answer you and to give you. You know, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the things of the kingdom of heaven. It's your Father's good pleasure. No good thing will he withhold from them that do walk uprightly. He wants to give you these things. You're not bothering God. Get that demonic lie out of your mind. You are not bothering God. You're not disturbing his peace. He said, call unto me. And I will answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So I asked my dad, I said, why is it that some people, when they pray, they don't carry this image in their spirit that they're praying to an actual person, a being, a sentient being. He's not some blob of energy. He's a sentient being, meaning he, he has a personality. He has the ability to feel. He has the ability to answer. The Bible talks about his hands, his feet, his eyes run to and fro. He, God, if you would see him, he looks like you and I. We were made in the image of God. Stop thinking of him as some blob of energy, like an energy source. This isn't Marvel Comics. This isn't the, the, the what do they call it? The, I forget what Marvel Comics, that little blue thing they have in Thor. He, he's not some blue energy source. He is a person. He's, he, he, he has, the Bible says his, his hand is not short and that it cannot save. He has a hand that is mighty to deliver, mighty to save, mighty to set free, mighty to heal. And so I asked my dad, I said, why don't people believe that? Don't they understand that when they open up their mouth and say, in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you for this, that they're praying to the God of the universe, the one who the scripture says he stretched out the expanse of the universe, the one who, who made every green tree and all the species of trees and all the species of animals and every molecule of water that fills this massive body of water called the ocean. Don't they understand? You're praying to the one who made the mountains and the one who made the high peaks. Don't you understand? You're praying to the one who tamed Leviathan, the book of Job says, the one who can tame the wild beasts, the one who sits in the heavens far above powers, principalities, dominions, and might, who has an authority that holds power in this age and in the age to come. Don't they understand? They have, they have access to a God who who has the power to raise from the dead, who the scripture says it was even when he himself came and died, it was not possible that death should hold him down. A God who, 
who, who, who can do the impossible, who can move the immovable, who can reverse the irreversible. Don't we understand? We're praying to the one who made every single star that scientists say it's impossible to count them all. We can even count all the stars only in our galaxy, let alone all the other galaxies, which if you look at the map, which I don't even know how to get a map, a Hubble a telescope or whatever, but even that's not even fully accurate. Because there's so much more. It's an effort. They, back, they actually say the universe is just constantly expanding. God's constantly making new things. And you're praying to the one who not only made every star, but he called them all by name. These massive stars. And we're going to come and approach him. Father, we just pray that you would just keep us this week. Keep us this week. He can do far more. Don't insult God with... Cheap, tiny prayers. Pray big. Pray big. Get out of your little tent of religion and look up to the stars as God told Abraham. Can you count all the stars? No. So you won't be able to count all the blessing and all the things God desires to do for you and your family. Hallelujah. So he's a prayer answering God. But I want to go through today two prayers God will not answer because it's important to have procedure. You know, when you go to the White House, you don't just walk into the White House. You don't just walk into the White House and make demands. There's a procedure. There's a way to approach a president. There's a way to approach a king. There's a way to approach Jesus. There's a way to approach the Father in the name of Jesus. You don't just walk in, storm in, and just wave your fist at him and say, how could this? That don't, don't work that way. You've been barred at the gate. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Till you thank God for what you do have, you're not qualified to ask him for one more thing. So there is a procedure. There's laws to prayer. Do you understand that there's laws to prayers? There's rules to praying? I know that many people have not been taught that because they just say he's a good God, amen, he'll just do whatever. No, yeah, he's a good God, but he didn't move on 40 plus different authors to write 66 books for us to just read it like it's some uh, Facebook timeline or some sort of Time magazine or GQ magazine or Forbes magazine. This book is not some dentist's office occupy yourself for another hour before the doctor calls you up type of book. This is a book that is a manual for our living and it lists out rules for engaging God. Hallelujah. You know, you go, for example, take it like this. Prayer is the topic. But there's different types of prayer. Just like sports, sports is the general, you know, it's the general uh name that we give volleyball and they're all sports volleyball hockey baseball basketball they're all sports it's the general term overseeing all kinds of sports but each individual sport basketball has its own set of rules baseball has its own set of rules you can't apply the rules of baseball to basketball you imagine if you applied the rules of football to basketball if i just went on the court i'd be better than michael jordan because i just go on the court and i just i just i mean tackle everybody they wouldn't be able to get by me. If, you, if I just decided to apply the rules of basketball, or let's say I applied the rules of baseball to basketball, and I just brought a bat with me and I started cracking people's legs. That, don't work that way. It don't work that way. There's rules. There's different types of sports. And in every sport, there's its own set of rules. In the same vein, there's different types of prayer. And in every single prayer, there's its own set of terms of engagement and rules. And so I wanted to go through a variety of reasons as to why prayers generally go unanswered. Why they go unanswered 
in the general scope of things. Number one reason why prayers are not answered, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how much you want that thing, no matter how much God's willing to give it to you and how powerful he is to do it and make it, if you don't ask, you shall not receive. James chapter 4, verse 3. You have not because you ask not. Just because God knows what you have need of, it does not eliminate your responsibility to pray those things into existence. Jesus said, pray that my will in heaven, pray that my will in heaven be done on the earth, which means that God's will in heaven is not automatically done on the earth. It has to be prayed into existence. Hannah prayed, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my request. God cannot grant the request of anybody who does not first pray. It doesn't say you shall receive, you shall find, you shall have the door open to you. It says ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. There is my part and then there is God's part. Number one reason why people's prayers go unanswered is because they simply don't ask. They don't have the courage to ask. Or sometimes there's small things that you need to be, you need dealt with, but you feel like it's not big enough to come before your father and ask him for something. No, let me tell you, now having children, I want my son to approach me with the small things and the big things. I want him to approach me I would love to give input into everything. When he grows up, I want to give my input onto anything that he does. I want to help him with everything that he does. And so God has the same heart and desire for you. Don't feel like it's too small to ask. You know, I was just preaching in Montreal a couple of weeks ago, and I preached on healing. And a guy came, he, he was in the service, and uh, he had just strained his back doing some workout at the gym. And he knew that time would heal it. He knew that if he just rested it a bit, it would come better and he'd get well. But in that service, he was sitting back watching people go up to receive healing for their body. And he started to feel that pain. And he was like, ah, I'm not going to go up because it's too small. And then the Lord rebuked him. He said, what do you mean it's too small? If it's hurting you, it's hurting me. Now come up. So he went up. He thought it was too small to ask God. He said, you know, let me leave the altar call for healing for those that are struggling with much deeper problems, people that have cancer or some sort of terminal disease, diabetes or whatever. I, I, I'm not going to bother God with this prayer request. But the Lord rebuked him for it. He said, I want you to bother me. I want you to ask me. So he came up. He wasn't going to ask God for it. When he was testifying later, he said, I wasn't even going to bring it up. I just said, you know what, I'll take my week or two weeks off from the gym and it, my body will regenerate itself. But when he went up, the Lord touched him right on the spot and he got healed and he was, and he was freaking out. He was, I mean, he didn't, he, he, I, don't, I think that was the first time he ever experienced any type of healing. He was freaking out because it just, it just left him. Another time I was in the Dominican Republic and a guy came up who got saved. He was a young 17, 18 year old boy and he had broken his foot. He was in a big cast. And I remember uh, praying. he came up to get saved. He wasn't saved. He came up to get saved. But you know what I told him? I said, now that you're saved, I believe God's going to show you how much he loves you by touching that, that leg of yours. Now, he didn't need to be healed of his that leg would have repaired itself over time. He wasn't dying from it. It wasn't some major problem. But I wanted to do that. I wanted to pray for him because I wanted to show him that God cared for him and God desired to touch him in the big and in the small, not only for your eternal salvation, but also for your temporary discomforts. So I prayed for him and right on the spot, I mean, he just he just got touched and he started to run around the auditorium. He took off his brace and he was jumping. He said, I could, I mean, he was, he was sat, he sat down the entire sermon. He sat down the entire worship. He didn't get up once. And then he started to jump, 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 and he had no more pain in his leg. It was something small. 
But when he came to ask, the Lord did it for him. Ask. Don't, sh don't be shy. Don't be some, don't approach God with, I don't want about. No, he said, come boldly into the throne of grace and mercy that you find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Number two reason why prayers go unanswered is unforgiveness. Mark 11, Mark chapter 11 and verse 24 and 25. 24 says, therefore I say to you, what things soever you ask when you pray, whatever thing you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. So Jesus talks about prayer and faith. That it's not the praying that brings the, the, the result. It's the praying and believing that brings the result to your prayer. And you will have them. There's no, you know what I find funny? Whenever someone teaches on prayer, there's always this uncertain tone they use. How many of you know sometimes we don't know? How many of you know sometimes he says yes, no, and maybe? We can't twist God's arm to do anything for us. We just got to leave it up to him. First of all, prayer is not twisting the hand of God. Prayer is actually cooperation with his will because we're not praying our will. We're praying his will into existence from the word. If it's in the Bible, then you know God wants you to pray it into existence. So listen to this. There's no, there's no uncertainty here. Believe that you have received them. Not believe that if it's God's will. No, believe that you have received them and you will have them. There's no uncertainty in prayer. Any uncertainty... In any teaching on prayer, you can know that that's man's own, his own experience that has polluted his entire doctrine on prayer. Has nothing to do with the word because the word of God does not bring maybes. The word of God does not put buts or ifs or perhaps not. There's only ask and you shall receive, believe and you shall have it. Verse 25, so prayer is now tied in to something else. Verse 25, it's not some totally different thought. Jesus is just uh, rabbit trailing now. It's in conjunction to prayer, Jesus moves in to say, and whenever you stand praying, if the Holy Ghost convicts you so that you remember that you have something against somebody else, forgive them that your heavenly father may also forgive you your trespasses but if you do not forgive them neither will your heavenly father forgive you your trespasses so the bible says when you're praying if the holy ghost should highlight that hey you have something against that person you haven't dealt with and that's why nothing's been happening if you resist or reject to take responsibility in forgiving that person who's done something perhaps in the world's terms, unforgivable to you. But we know in the gospel, there's nothing that's unforgivable. But if you resist that uh, inner correction by the Holy Ghost to go and forgive them, the Bible says your prayer will be futile. Your prayer will carry no power. Your prayer will be empty. Your prayer will not even go beyond the ceiling of your prayer closet. You must forgive others if you want God to forgive you. And until you're forgiven, I'm telling you, you're connection wi-fi connection to heaven is off it doesn't it's not just on one bar it's on sos there ain't no connection until you forgive others that until you've dealt with people on the horizontal level that vertical connection will be broken that vertical connection will not be in place unforgiveness is one of the main reasons why people's prayers go unanswered Get rid of that bitter, unforgiving spirit. Whatever they've done to you, it pales in comparison to what we've done to God. And if God, who is holy and great and good, had felt it in himself to forgive us, who are we 
to hold a grudge against anybody. The Bible says, therefore, forgive others, even as God in Christ forgave us. Be tenderhearted. Forgive. Forgive people because it's going to block your prayers from being answered. It's going to hinder your prayer life. I found many times I've, people have come to me and they said, I, 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 you know, I, I, feel, I don't feel God anymore. I said, well, have you hold on to, held on to anything concerning anything's done in, concerning what anybody's done anything to you? And they'll, they'll it'll always be traced back to one thing. So yeah, you know what? I, and then you wonder why the Holy Ghost is not visiting them in their prayer time. Forgive. It's not worth it. Number three, spousal mistreatment. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your spouse with understanding, giving honor to your wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. One of the main reasons people have hindrance in prayer, in their prayer life, it's been stagnated, it's become idle, cold, dry, dead, is because they've not been treating their spouse correctly. I've had this where I've... I've uh, we, me and my wife hashed it out or whatever. Nothing serious, but you know, we have our disagreements. And it might not have been something crazy, and I, I didn't lift my voice or say anything, but I might have said something that, uh, to me, may not have been offensive. But the Bible says, pay attention unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Some things might not offend you, but they might offend your spouse. And so, I remember, I, 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 you know, there was a particular, this has happened several times, three times at least, where I, we had this, we had this discussion. And I may have said something that, for me, it, if someone had said that to me, it wouldn't have offended me. But in my prayer time, I didn't quite feel the Lord. I didn't quite feel like I felt like my prayers were like marshmallows, just squishy, mushy, nothing, no substance. And then the Lord showed me that that thing you said to your wife. It may not have hurt you, but it hurt her. And go and repair that. And so I went and I just talked it out with her. I said, uh, Carrie, I'm so sorry if that, you know, that might have, I, I didn't, didn't want to offend you. I, I never want to offend you. I love you. Uh, my apologies if that came off wrong. My apologies if that felt like I was berating you or anything. I want your best. I think you know that. Then she said, yeah, it did bother me. Could you forgive me? Please forgive me. She says, yes, she's a loving person. And then I went back to pray and I just felt like a weight lifted off my shoulders. And I, I just knew that like, I just knew that I had the ear of God again. I knew that I was in the throne again. I knew that I was in the throne room and that the Lord was hearing me again. How you treat your spouse determines how God will treat you. If you're constantly beating down your wife or beating, and I'm not just saying physically. If it's physically, you need to stop that right now because you will go to hell, mark my words. But I'm saying even just with your words, you're constantly berating her and you're constantly speaking down to her. And then you're wondering why there's like this stick in your wheel and nothing seems to be moving forward in your life. Take evaluation. Next time you're talking or you're having a, just because you're having an argument does not give you the license to take a dump on her and say everything that you've always wanted to say, but held it. No, tame your tongue, tame your tongue because how you treat and how you speak to your wife. Remember, Paul compares marriage to our marriage with Christ, to our covenant with God through Christ. There's a parallel in the spiritual realm between your marriage and relationship with God in Christ. There's a parallel. Read Ephesians 5. It talks about husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. 
as the husband, as the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. And then he moves on to say, I'm not even speaking about marriage. I'm talking about your relationship with Christ. So if you speak in a negative, pessimistic, constantly uh, insulting tone with your spouse, don't complain when your prayers are hindered. Bible says you are heirs together of the grace of God, God, the grace of life. You know what happens? You know what happens when you are constantly bickering with your spouse, complaining about something they're not doing right, blah, blah, blah. You know what happens? That pipeline that flows the grace of life from heaven to you, it gets clogged up. It gets clogged up. You think that you're finally putting that, that man in his place. I'm finally putting that woman in her place. But in actual fact, you are disadvantaging your own self. You are positioning yourself in a place of wilderness and peril. Number three reason why prayers are answered. Spousal mistreatment. That your prayers may not be hindered. Settle things with your spouse right now. Some of you have to give your, your wife a phone call right after this broadcast. Some of you have to give your husband a phone call right after this broadcast. Some of you have to go home tonight, sit down and pray together and say, I'm so sorry for the way I've been treating you. And I'm telling you, once you do that, it's going to unlock a whole new dimension of prayer in your prayer life that you've never, ever experienced before. Number four reason for... Uh, no answers to your prayers. Is no repentance. No repentance, no answers. I'll make that as clear as day. Psalm 66, 18. If I had regarded iniquity in my heart, if I held on to sin, if I loved my sin, the Lord would not hear me. The Lord would not hear me. Get rid of sin. Cut off sin because sin will cut you off from God's network of prayer. 2 Chronicles 15, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Get rid of sin. Your own sins have cut you off. Isaiah 59. Is the arm shortened that it cannot sin? No, that it cannot save? No. But your own sins have cut you off. Your own iniquities have created this bridgeless gap between you and God. Settle that. Bible says those that continue sinfully, sinning willfully after they've come to the knowledge of the truth, they themselves insult the spirit of grace, trample underfoot the blood of the Son of God. Entertain sin and you lose every audience with God. Cut off relationship with sin and I'm telling you, you'll go to a whole new, a whole new level of relationship with God. Number five, Number five, I'm skipping through these because I have the two prayers God will not answer that I really want to get through. Because these are talking about just general hindrances to prayers, but then I'm going to get to two specific prayers that God will not answer. Number five, general reasons God will not answer your prayer is wrong motives. Trying to get healthy so you can go party again and sleep around and go drug, go on these drug binges. Trying to get healthy again. What for? So you can use it to, do, to serve the devil? That's a wrong motive. That's a wrong motive. Trying to get rich. Asking God to bless you financially. Why? So you can go and gamble it? Because you have that gambling addiction. You never stopped. Asking God to bless you financially. Why? So you can buy a fourth house that does absolutely nothing. And you've not given one cent to the gospel. You've not given one dime to the gospel. You've been, you, you, 
Oh, I'll give more when God makes me rich. You haven't even given 10% of your $10 salary. And you're going to think, you're going to, you think you're holding on to $1. And you think that when God blesses you with a million, that you'll send $100,000 his way. Oh, no. Wrong motive. The Bible says, James chapter 4, James chapter 4, this is the brother of Jesus speaking. So I think he knew a two or thing, a, a, a thing or two on prayer. James chapter 4, you lust and don't have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. So you see, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. If, if murder, murder, obviously not everyone's going out to kill people, but Jesus said the New Testament standard for murder is if you're angry against someone else. A lot of people, their anger is in jealousy. You're asking God for things just so you can one-up your brother, just so you can one-up that guy, just so you can have a little more than that person so that the next time you get together, they're not showcasing what they've got and you've got nothing to show for your own life. The Bible says that that's a wrong motive. You covet and cannot obtain. Covet. Coveting someone else's silver and gold. You think that God's going to give you something just so that you can keep up with the Joneses? That's an impure motive. You, yet you do not have because you don't ask. We dealt with that before. And even when you do ask, you ask amiss. You ask and don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. The motivational factor that should propel, generate a quality, strong, healthy prayer life is not covet, uh, covetousness. It is not your own pleasure. The thing that should generate fervency in prayer is I desire to serve God and serve His purposes. That's it. That's proper motive. When you're praying for something, when you're praying for something, whether it be financial, whether it be general direction in life, why do you want general direction in life? Because do you have the life, do you have the heart that Paul had where he said, whether I'm in the body or out of body, I have this one thing as my ambition to be well-pleasing to the Lord. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, whether I'm with you or not, I have this as my ambition to be well-pleasing to the Lord. He said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we work hard. We work hard. He said, I move forward in life because I know the terror of the Lord. I know that one day I'm going to have to stand before him and give an account for everything that I've done in the flesh. And I want this to be the, I want, the only thing I ever want to hear when I stand before him is, well done, good and faithful servant. Six words. Well done, good and faithful servant. That should be that which propels your prayer life. If you're in pain and you need God to heal your body today, why do you want him to heal you? Yes, he loves you. Yes, he wants to touch you. Yes, he wants to give you strength. He died for you to be in healing, to, to walk in healing. But why do you want to get healed? I, I can tell you when I had OCD and I was, I, I believe God for healing, my, my desire to be healed was fueled by a desire to do more for him. So wrong motives, asking amiss, asking for your own pleasures, asking... You're asking God for something that you have absolutely no desire to spend that thing for His glory and to use it primarily for His glory. Wrong motive. Even in asking God for a car, even if you're asking God for a vehicle, what's the primary? You don't have a vehicle. You want a vehicle. Why? So you can go see friends? Or maybe so you can stop asking people for a lift to church and now you can give other people lifts to church. You see what I mean? The motive, the motive has to be pure and holy. Because the Bible says where jealousy, self-seeking, and evil ambition exists, there every evil thing and confusion is there. 
The Bible says where jealousy and evil, selfish ambition exists, then every evil thing is there and confusion is there. Examine yourself. Number six, reason why prayers go unanswered. No scripture. There's no scripture to back up what you're asking for. 1 John 5, 14, we have this confidence before him that if we ask anything, so where's the confidence? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Why am I confident that God hears me? Because I know I'm asking according to his will. How do I know that I'm asking according to his will? Because I've seen it laid out into, in his written will, his word. The word of God is the written will of God. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word is God. God's will is in God's word. So what do you do if you need something? If you need something, don't just say, God, I need this. Go on an explorative study of the word of God and discover three, at least two to three scriptures that prove God, proves God wants you to have what you're asking him for. Locate those scriptures because now you have a foundation of faith to approach him with. You're not just shooting something up and hope something sticks. Now you can put God in remembrance of his word and state your case that you may be acquitted. Just like in law, you don't go before a judge without evidence. You go with evidence. Well, God's the judge of the whole earth. Jesus is our lawyer, but you got to supply some, uh, some evidence. I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus, my advocate with the Father. But I'm not coming in vain. You said, you said, you know, when... Hannah was praying for Samuel. She had scripture to stand on. Exodus 23, 25. None of your women shall miscarriage, nor be barren all the days of their life. Lord, you said I wouldn't be barren. You said I would conceive. You said I'd be fruitful and multiply. So she had something to stand on. Hallelujah. I'm not going to get through what else I had to say on that because for the sake of time. But number seven, unbelief. So all of that, you can have all six, but you missed this last one. It, it, uh, it'll, it'll, uh, prayer will produce nothing. Unbelief. The Bible says in James chapter 1, if any man asks for wisdom, let him ask in faith. Nothing doubting. Nothing doubting. Don't give allowance for doubt. Don't tolerate doubt. Don't entertain doubt. Don't explore your doubts. I know what a lot of garbage preaching is telling people. This. Doubt is just an invitation for you to explore God more. Explore your doubts and explore God. No, don't explore doubt. God never dealt nicely with doubt. The Bible says their unbelief, I swore in my wrath that they would never enter my rest because of their unbelief. The Bible says... Let us therefore be diligent lest we fall after the same example of unbelief and that we don't enter the rest. Unbelief is not something to be pampered. It's not something to be tolerated. It's something to be violently dealt with. Jesus rebuked the unbelief of the disciples when they were hiding away in the upper room after he had raised from the dead. He entered and he rebuked their unbelief because they did not believe Mary who had seen him after he had raised from the dead. He rebuked their unbelief. When those two men on the road to Emmaus were walking and Jesus appeared to them by the road and he said, what are you discussing? He said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard of everything that happened these last three days? How Jesus, a man mighty in deed and in word, God raised them up as a mighty prophet and indeed he's dead and it's the third day today. Jesus looked at me and said, oh, you slow of heart to believe. 
You slow of heart to believe. Don't pamper unbelief. Get rid of it. And the way you get rid of it is by faith coming through the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let him ask in faith. See, what happens is, is when the word of God moves into your heart, unbelief has to move out of your heart. It's like July 1st, moving day. Whenever you receive the word, the, the word actually puts an eviction notice on unbelief. It must go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let him ask in faith, nothing doubting, for he that doubts is like the waves of the sea, tossed to and fro. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. These people make it sound like if you just pray in faith, God will just do anything for you. Like he's some uh, gumball machine. You just twist and turn with the knob of faith and he's just going to do it. <laughs> I didn't say it. James did. And he's Jesus' brother, for goodness sakes. Think he had a thing or two to say that were right. Think he had some sort of weight of influence and in things pertaining to prayer and Christianity. He said, if you pray in unbelief, let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. It's not about three hours of prayer. I'd rather you pray three minutes in faith than three hours in unbelief. Unbelief is a waste of breath. God doesn't hear just any prayer. God hears the prayer of faith. So those are seven general reasons as to why prayer goes unanswered. But here are two specific prayers now. Now we're getting in. We're going to zone this in on the specific side. If you're just tuning in now, you do me a great help. If you share this broadcast, like this video on YouTube, comment, and let's help out some people today, together. Two specific prayers that God will not respond to. Number one, prayer that God will never answer, is when you're asking God to give you something that he already gave to you in Christ Jesus. What do I mean by that? I'm going to say that again. You're asking God to give you something that you already have because of Christ Jesus and your position in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read two scriptures that are going to greatly explain what I mean here. Asking God to give you something you already have. God will not answer that prayer. Because in, essentially, going back to what I said before, that's a prayer of unbelief. Because you're not accepting that you already have it because the Bible says you have it. Well, I don't see it. That means I must not have it. Okay, Thomas, unless I see the print in his nails and unless I put my hand in his side, I'll never believe. Blessed are you because you saw and believe. No, he says you've seen and believe, but blessed are those who, they, they, though they don't see yet, yet they believe. They're the ones that are going to be a magnet for the blessing that the word carries for them. Ephesians chapter 1, listen to this. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you'd bless me with every spiritual blessing. You don't pray that. You know, there's a song that they sing. Open the floodgates of heaven. And you know, it's real nice and I understand what they're saying, but it's really not scriptural to say that because he already opened up the floodgates of heaven. He actually says, stop looking to the floodgates. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Holy Ghost is not just in the heavenlies. He's in your belly as rivers of living water. But people are always waiting for something to descend from above. They're always waiting for the stirring of the waters, that the angel will come down and strike them with a rod on their head. In actual fact, God is saying, stop looking everywhere else. Start to see what I already put in you because of what I did in Christ Jesus. And I want to remind you, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
is an explanation of what God did through Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the story of what God did through Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. The, the, the books of uh, the epistles of Paul, the New Testament revelation epistles of Paul is explanation of what God did in Christ for you. So when we read the New Testament epistles, we read the Gospels. We know what happened historically, but the New Testament epistles, especially the letters of Paul, they are an unraveling of the mystery of what really transpired in the spiritual realm when Jesus underwent the death, burial, and his resurrection. The Bible says he already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Open the floodgate. It's already open. He can't open it even more. It's already open. He already gave you. Greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. He's not opening another portal. Enough with these portals. Got another portal here. Another portal there. Another portal here. There's, there's no need for all these portals. There's one portal. It was when Jesus was portaled from heaven to earth as a little baby in a manger. And he grew up a sinless, perfect life. Went three and a half years, did ministry, cast out devils, healed the sick, crucified, raised the third day, ascended on high. And he said, now I am going to pray the Father and he will send you a helper of the same kind. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost, he will teach you. He will empower you. He will cause you to do the works that you've seen me do in greater works. Quit looking for a portal. You have the Holy Ghost. You have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. God, I just pray you would accept me. I just pray that you would take me in, into the fold. I pray that you would love me. It already says... He loves you. It says he's chosen you. It says he's adopted you. It says he has made you to be accepted in the beloved. And if you read on in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that you are no longer a stranger or a foreigner. You're a citizen of the saint. You're a member of the house of God. You're a fellow citizen of heaven. People are praying, to asking God to do things. He's already done. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you would forgive me. You've been asking him to forgive you for the same sin that you committed 18 years ago. You just haven't accepted the fact that he already forgave you by his blood and the riches of his grace. I'm not saying there's, there's no place for daily prayer. Lord, forgive me if I've done anything. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're still focusing on asking God to forgive you about something that you did 18 years ago and you've already settled that account, you've already asked him, but you keep asking him for the same thing. I still don't feel forgiven. I don't feel, what do you mean I don't feel forgiven? Last time I checked, I don't think feeling is a forgiveness. Feeling is a fact. It's a redemptive fact. It says he has in him forgiven you of sins. For there is now therefore no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. You're asking God to do something he's already done. Skip to verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you trusted after you heard. You see how it's saying in him, through him, by him, in him, in Christ, having believed you were sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. Oh Lord, I just pray that you would give me the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give more of the Holy Spirit. More of the Holy Spirit. I have my wife. I don't want more of her. I already have her. I can't have more of her. If I wanted to have more of her, it'd, be me. it'd mean like I'd have to plump her up. Make her gain some weight. That's the only way I can gain. But the Holy Ghost is not gaining weight. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost. He is a person. And the Bible says you were sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. You were sealed. Now, I'm not saying that there's no baptism in the Holy Ghost. But really, the baptism in the Holy Ghost is not you getting more of the Holy Ghost. You already have him at salvation. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is when you get dunked in him so that you carry the scent of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost, and the, the urgency to get the gospel out that the Holy Ghost carries. Hallelujah. I just pray that you'd give me the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Now listen to this, verse 15. Paul says, Therefore, I, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, I don't cease giving thanks to God for you in all my prayers, making mention of you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So he's saying, you see everything Jesus gave you? You see everything that's already in your heavenly account? You see all these things that it's not things you have to ask for? It already says, in him you have, in him you have, by him this is yours. Well, you see that? Well, here's what I'm praying for you, Ephesian church, Paul says. I'm going to pray that God would open your eyes. It's not a have-not problem. It's a blindness problem. It's not a these things don't belong to me yet problem. It's I can't see it yet. The eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so that you can know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of the inheritance and the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of God's power towards us. Lord, I just pray that you'd give me more power. More. He already said the exceeding greatness of his power is already directed towards you but Paul is saying your eyes need to be open to the reality of this redemptive these redemptive truths this new creation reality Ephesians 4 17 this I say therefore and testify in the Lord you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind their understanding darkened meaning they're foolish in their understanding they're alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the blindness of their own hearts. They're alienated from the life of God. Why? Not because God didn't want to bless them. They're alienated because of the blindness of their hearts. The ignorance of their hearts, the blindness of their hearts. The ignorance that is in them. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. You're asking things from God that he's already said. What are some things that he said already belong to you? Well, number one, healing is yours. You actually don't have to pray for healing. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, what do you mean you don't have to pray for healing? Paul prayed for people to be healed. Actually, if you read in Acts 28, he went into a man's house who was sick and he prayed and then he laid hands on him and healed him. So there was a separate thing. Probably what happened was that Paul prayed got himself in the spirit. And then when he was in the spirit, he went to minister healing and cast the, the whatever devil of sickness was in that man's body or, or, or he took authority over the tumor or the growth or whatever, the dysentery and fever that the guy was experiencing. Jesus said, as you go, preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal their sick. He doesn't say pray for the sick. 
James chapter 5, people I'm sure are thinking of that scripture right now. Well, no, TJ, the Bible says in James 5, now verse 14, if any among you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Notice what type of prayer James says that you are to pray when praying for the sick. It's the prayer of faith, not the prayer of request. The prayer of request is, Father, we ask you to heal this person now. In Jesus' name, amen. The prayer of faith is, Father, we thank you that by the healing stripes of Jesus that he took on that cross 2,000 years ago, the healing virtue has been afforded to us by redemption, and we receive that healing power now. We receive it now into our bodies. I receive it. I don't ask for it. I receive it. I receive it because of the finished work of Calvary. I receive it because Jesus said by his stripes we'd be healed. I receive it because I know that he already bore this sickness and carried this pain, and I don't need to carry it one more day. And so I, I thank you, just like that virtue flowed into that woman's body who had an issue of blood. She touched the hem of his garment. She put a demand on it. She didn't ask Jesus for anything. She didn't say, hey, if I can just ask him to heal me, he'll heal me. She said, if I can just touch, if I can tap into that. Well, guess what? The cross of Christ reconciles us to God. And we have now been able to tap into the surpassing greatness of God's power that's available to us. And when we tap into it, we can receive everything that it holds and everything it carries the capacity to destroy, it will destroy. And that includes sickness and disease. Healing is mine. I don't have to pray. I'm not praying, God, heal me. I receive your healing power into my body. When I take this communion, I'm eating the blood, I'm eating the body and I'm drinking the blood and I'm taking in the healing virtue of heaven into my body. Thank you, Father. That's the prayer of faith. The prayer of request is, God, I pray that you would do this for me. The prayer of faith is, God, I thank you that you've already done it. No further prayer necessary on that matter. I just receive it. And you can read that. Acts chapter 9, Peter goes to Aeneas' house who's bedridden, paralyzed for eight years and he walks in. He doesn't pray one word. He just goes by his bed, lays hands on him and says, Jesus the Christ heals you. That layman at the gate called Beautiful, Peter and John are walking. They, he looks at them expecting to receive alms or charity from him. Peter and John look at them right in the eye and say, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have. Notice how they didn't pray. What I do have is prayer, and prayer is so powerful. didn't even pray. He lifted him by the right hand and said, get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the man was instantly healed. Can you say amen? Don't ask God for healing when he's already given, to, given it to you in Christ. And that's why I'm convinced this is one of the main roadblocks for people to receive healing is they're constantly asking him for it. But when you ask God for something, he's already given it to you, given that thing to you, you're actually asking in unbelief. You're asking in unbelief. You're asking in doubt because you don't actually believe it's already in your heavenly account. Imagine if Elon Musk said, I'm sending you a million dollars and a million dollars came in and it's in my bank account. But then I phone up Elon Musk. I'd really love for you to send that million dollars. I already sent it. Go check in your account. No, I don't. I just want to see it. I just want to see it. I want to see it retracted and withdrawn. I want it in my hands. I don't want it in my account. He'd be like, all right, you know what? I'm taking my money back because you're crazy, obviously. Well, that's how some people are when they're asking God for to do things he's already done for them. It's already in your account. Just withdraw what's in your heavenly account by lifting up your hands and saying, Father, I thank you that it's mine. I thank you for healing in my body. I thank you that strength, the quickening spirit of God is quickening my mortal body. 
And today is the sickest I'll ever be. I'm walking up. I'm, I'm, I'm marching on up. I'm not going to have any weakness or feebleness in my entire body. I've got the strength of God in me. Number two, asking God for joy. Oh, Lord, I pray you'd give me joy. The Bible says when you believe in him, you rejoice in joy inexpressible and full of glory. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not the joy of the Lord will be your strength. It already is your strength. It is your strength. Joy. The Bible says that... Um, there is a stream which makes glad the city of our God. You have the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is the oil of joy. You have joy in you. Instead of asking God, give me joy, give me joy, start to say, Father, I thank you. That bubbling up from within my heart even now is the joy of the Lord and it shall be my strength. Thank you that I'm not stretching for, for joy, that I have joy in me. The oil of joy and gladness that is eradicating any type of heaviness in my spirit, any type of sorrow or mourning, any type of discomfort. The joy of the Lord is rising up from within me, a joy inexpressible and full of glory. I prophesy in Jesus' mighty name, you that are watching me right now, live and on the replay, I pr in the name of Jesus, that joy joy is bubbling up from within your spirit. Out of your belly shall flow a river of joy. You shall laugh in Jesus' mighty name. You shall laugh at famine. You shall laugh at destruction. Whatever the devil has done to you and whatever has been uh, planned to wipe you out, the Bible says God sits in the heavens and he laughs. You are joining God in laughing at the plans of the enemy concerning your life today in Jesus' name. I take authority over depression. I take authority over a spirit of of, of, of fear, a spirit of, of um, despondency, and I loose, I loosen you the spirit of joy, the Holy Ghost of joy. For the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Number three, we're asking God for deliverance. Lord, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. Oh God, deliver me. That's the number one hindrance to deliverance is you asking God to deliver you. You want to know why? Because in Isaiah 51, in the New Living Translation, it says, you who seek deliverance, you who hope for deliverance, look to Abraham, your father, and look to Sarah, who bore you. What is God saying there? You're asking God to be delivered, but if you would just understand your portion as a child of Abraham, carrying the blessing of Abraham, you would see that you're already delivered. Let me read this to you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. The devil's job is to make you to think you're not delivered, make you to think you're still bound, you're still held captive. Even though the gospel has come, even though you believe that there's some extra thing that must be done in order for you to experience true freedom. But this is what God says. Ephesians, uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13. Listen to this. Colossians 1, 12. We are giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Hallelujah. That means I'm qualified to partake of God's deliverance. But listen to here. Verse 13, he has, he has, not he will deliver us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his life in whom we have, have redemption by his blood. So notice how Paul said here, he has delivered us. Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. I'm going to show you something because this is going to deliver you right now. You realize, man, I've been praying for something I already have. I'm just going to get up and walk out of this prison cell today. I'm not staying in here one more day. 
I've been falsely deceived into thinking that I still have to be delivered. Man, the cross is deliverance. The cross brought my deliverance. It brought my healing. It brought my deliverance from tormenting spirits and demonic affliction. I'm not, I'm not, it's the devil that's kept me blinded from the truth that I'm already a free man. I'm a free woman. The jail, the, 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 the warrant, not the warrant, the emancipation proclamation has been signed. I'm free. Type that in the comment section right now. I'm free. I'm free. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 26. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise up, stand up on your feet. For I appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal. And I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Verse 18. This is what Paul's mission was. To open their eyes. There it is again. Open your eyes and see what the finished work of the cross has afforded you. Open your eyes and see the riches of the inheritance of the saints. Open your eyes and see yourself delivered. See yourself free. See yourself healed. See yourself blessed. See yourself prospering. See yourself in the fullness of the call of God. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. If you're saved, you've been turned from darkness to light. I'm not yet going to turn to light. I am turned to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. I'm not given into the hands of the power of Satan. I've been turned from the power of Satan. I was looking one way. I was in one direction. But now because of what Jesus did, I'm turned to the power of God. And the power of God is turned on in me. That I may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those that are sanctified by faith in me. Hallelujah. Who has delivered us? Just praying that I get delivered from this spirit of depression and stuff. And uh, Look, I feel bad for you. Because you still think that that's some futuristic thing that's going to come to pass. As if Jesus is going to come down from heaven and take another lash on his back and another nail in his hand and go through a second cross finally to give. He's done it all. And now we have to take in the word and by faith believe it in our heart and confess with my mouth, I am delivered. I am free, not by might or power, but by the Spirit of God. I am a free person. I'm liberated. The Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Hallelujah. This Bible says the anointing lifts up the heavy burden and destroys the yoke of captivity. When you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Ghost. You receive the anointing, the yoke, the yoke. The only reason the devil still has that yoke of captivity tied on you is because you have not fully been convinced yet that the moment you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive a yoke-destroying Spirit of God. Hallelujah. The moment that, and that, that's what happened to me when I was sick with OCD. I saw, I saw Jesus tied to a whipping post. And he turned to me and he said, I did this so you could be made whole. The moment I saw the electricity ran through my body and I was made well right on the spot. I never asked God to heal me. I had asked him plenty of times before that. Plenty of times, but I never got healed in those prayers. But then I saw my eyes turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto the power of God, and instantly I got free. Hallelujah. Stop asking God to give you things He already gave to you. What has He already given to you? 
being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He's given you redemption. Stop asking to be redeemed. Romans 8.1, therefore there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Stop asking God to absolve the guilt. Da, da, da. You are not condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's no condemnation. Stop sulking and condemning thoughts. Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the laws of sin and death. Lord, set me free from the laws of sin. Set me free from this sin. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has already done that. You're already a free man. I can't stress that even more. You have received the spirit of liberty. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to proclaim release to the captives. Notice it doesn't say to pray for the captives. It says proclaim release to the captives. I'm telling you. Whatever form of captivity that's held you on, held you down and held you bound up until this moment, I declare you free in Jesus' name by the authority of the gospel commission. Romans 12, 5, so we being many are one body in Christ Jesus. I'm part of the body. I'm not asking God to belong. I belong. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Lord, sanctify me. You're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now I understand there is the process of sanctification, which is daily. But stop thinking of yourself as, I'm not holy. I am not holy. I'm, you know, you are holy because he made you holy and he has sanctified you in Christ Jesus. Call to be saints. You're a saint. You're a sanctified one. 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I feel like I'm so stupid. I feel like he is wisdom. He has become to you wisdom. We have the mind of Christ. Lord, I just pray that you'd give me the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Why are you praying for something you already have? You know, you read the epistles of Paul. You're not reading a bunch of promises. You're reading a, like a legal document that shows you, oh man, this is what's part of my inheritance. Oh wow. Romans uh, 8.2, I am set free from the law of sin and death. Wow, I accept that. That's great. I didn't know that before. Great. Oh, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. I have got the love of God or the life of God in me. Wow, that's amazing. They're statements of truth. It's a system of truth. It's not something you're asking for. It's something that Paul is laying out to you to show you this already is in your heavenly account. He has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God. Wow, I am anointed? That's amazing. I'm never going to say I'm not anointed ever again because the Bible says I am anointed. Why would I say I'm not anointed when the Bible says I am anointed? Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. Wow, I'm not a loser. I can't lose. I'm never going to lose again. He always leads me to triumph. It's not something I'm going to pray for. Lord, I just pray you'd always lead me. You don't have to. You always are led to triumph. If you'll stick with God, he makes you more than a conqueror. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Lord, I just pray you'd make all things new. You are new. I don't feel new. Whoever who said your feelings are the litmus for truth? This thing here, this is the truth. Trumps your feelings. So number one, asking God to do something he already said you, you already have. Number two, prayer, specific prayer, God will not answer. And I pray, going back to number one, I pray that the Lord will open up the eyes of your understanding today. That as you pick up this book, there'll be a newfound love for the Word of God, quite unlike you've ever ha had before. And that you'll go on explorative studies of the Word of God to unravel everything God has said concerning you. You will not be a weak, confused, lukewarm wandering through life Christian, you will be one who has an, an understanding of your identity in Christ.
You will have an understanding of what already belongs to you. And your prayer life will go from always asking for things to now just accepting them by faith in Jesus' mighty name. Number two, asking God to do something he already commissioned you to do. What do I mean by this? Lord, save those souls. He's not going to answer that. Because he already said in Mark chapter 16. Matter of fact, let's do Romans 10. Mark 16 says, Go therefore and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and these signs will follow you as you believe. You'll lay hands on the sick. You'll cast out demons. Notice how it doesn't say, sit back and relax. Enjoy the show as I go out and send my angels to win every soul to the Lord until it's time to come back and, and finish the age. Jesus said, now you go. You go. Why would he tell you to go unless we needed to go to accomplish this specific commission? Romans chapter 10, listen to this. How can they call on him? Lord, we just pray that they'd call on your name. How can they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless someone sends them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 18, their sound has gone out into all the world, the earth and their words to the ends of the world. God does not commission angels to preach the gospel. God has commissioned you and I to preach the gospel. To say, Lord, save souls is a scapegoat prayer, cheap, irresponsible prayer. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray that God touches their hearts as you speak to them. Lord, I pray that you would open up the door of faith in their hearts so that when I sow the word, it would be planted on good fertile ground that they would receive it in Jesus' name. That's a very valid prayer. But I'm saying trying to contract a commission back to God. It's like you're like rejecting the call and you're saying, no, 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 God, you'd go ahead and do that. I'm just going to sit here in my blessed assurance in my living room and just pray that God, you, you, know, you don't work that way. Lord, save souls. He already said, you go and save souls. Lord, send your angels to bring in the harvest. He already said the, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord that he may dispatch angels. Oh, hallelujah. No, not angels. Pray to the Lord that he may dispatch more laborers into the harvest field. God's eyes are looking to and fro, looking for laborers who will be loyal to his commission so that he might show himself strong on their, behind, on their be behalf. Acts 4, the disciples, when they got threatened and had every reason to just, you know what, we're going to keep our mouths quiet from now on. We're just going to, we're going to pray the whole angel prayer. Lord, send your angels now. They're threatening our lives, so we really don't feel comfortable going out there anymore. We're going to just stick here in this upper room. And no, what did they do? Filled with the Holy Ghost. They said, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your servants continue to speak the word with boldness. Because they understood it ain't going to get done without us speaking the word with boldness while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders be done. God is looking for someone to go and someone to speak as his mouthpiece. Once he's got that guy, he could then move on, stretch out his hand to heal, do signs and wonders, and by the Holy Ghost, convict of sin, of righteousness, and of truth. Number two, asking God to do something he already commissioned you to do. Lord, I pray that you would heal that person even from here. We ask you to... The Bible says... He didn't call you to keep the sick in prayer. He called you to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Lay hands on the sick. As you go, preach the gospel and heal their sick. 
doesn't say pray for the sick. It says heal their sick. Heal their sick. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Hallelujah. Too many times we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're using prayer to dodge the action of faith. Too many times people are using prayer to dodge the action of faith. Faith without works is dead. If I believe, if I believe, Mark 16, you shall lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Well, then I'm not going to sit back and say, Lord, just send your... I'm going to go and lay hands on the sick to see them recover. If I read Acts 19.11, handkerchiefs, aprons brought from Paul's body to them that were sick and they were healed. I'm not going to say, Lord, we know you don't need handkerchiefs. You don't need those things. You could do it all by your own. Yeah, he could do it all by own, his own. But some, for some reason, when he wrote down the laws of faith, he desired to use people like you and I to get his will done. And so... Oftentimes, we're using prayer to dodge the action of actually taking the handkerchief and praying over it and sending it somewhere for that person to be healed. Prayer Miracles don't just happen. Pr miracles are the result of the desperate faith of men when their obedience comes in line with the scriptures. God heals so-and-so. You're asking God to do something he told you to do. He told you to do it. You can't contract it back to him. He already said, you, you go and do it. So I can't get along with churches that don't have any prayer service, like healing services. And the only time they ever bring up healing is like during the announcements. You say, how many of you have unspoken requests today? Well, we also have our prayer list and our, um, what do they call them, at home? Uh, the at home list where like they couldn't make it today. We have it at the back. If you'll go and add some names to that list, we're going to pray with, we're going to pray for them. There's no, never a visit. There's never an actual compliance with what God's told us to do. It's all just, we're just gonna, why don't you just say their names out loud? We just pray for justice right now. We just pray for, it, it doesn't work that way. I don't know. If I could do anything through this broadcast is to tear down the religious lens that most people have been seeing Christianity through, this Western religious cultural lens that we've been seeing, we've been reading the Bible through. You don't keep people in prayer. You, you go and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Number three, God, we just pray that you would deliver Sister Sally. Lord, deliver her. The Bible says, you shall cast out demons. You shall cast out demons. Lord, we just pray that you would cast that demon. One time, Kenneth Hagin was, um, he had a dream where he saw Jesus in the dream and Jesus was speaking to him. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this little three-foot demon came out and started to yakety yak, 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 talk and all the things. He was distracting him. He couldn't hear Jesus' voice. And he was just asking Jesus, Jesus, cast that thing out. Jesus, cast that thing out. It's annoying me. And Jesus wasn't even paying attention to his words. He just kept speaking. And he could see his mouth moving, but he couldn't hear the words. And so finally, he looked to the demon. He said, you foul thing in Jesus' name, out! And the thing he like screeched and then left. And then he could hear Jesus' words again. He said, Jesus, why didn't you cast that thing out? I couldn't hear you the last 10 minutes. He said, because I, I don't cast out demons anymore. I'm, I'm in heaven. I've commissioned you to cast out demons. Lord, deliver Sister Sally from this demon of oppression, this demon of depression, this demon of alcoholism or something. The Bible says, and the disciples went everywhere, casting out demons 
and anointing with oil them that were sick. That's in Mark chapter 6. I think it's in verse 13. They had to actually go. They had to go. And number five, God help the poor. Lord, we just pray that you would help the poor. James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have work? Can that faith save him? If a brother is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you just says, depart, be warmed, be filled, and you don't give to them the things which are needed for the body, what does that profit them? Even so, faith by itself, if it doesn't have work, is dead. Lord, we just keep the poor in prayer today. Why don't you start giving to a, a ministry that actually supplies resources to the poor? Lord, we, we know that Brother Daniel at our church today, he's struggling financially, and we just pray that you would take care of all his needs, or just maybe you can hand him a $100 bill at the end. Mm. Maybe, maybe, so that he doesn't have any lack. There have been times where I took in an offering, there's one time I took in the whole offering at a church, and then the Lord said, go and give it to that person. I grabbed four or $5,000 and just went, here, that's yours. $3,000, whatever it was, that's yours. They had just come in from Italy and uh, they were in the ministry and they still needed to buy furniture. They still needed to buy all that stuff and they were just believing God. And I felt the Lord say, go, don't just keep them in prayer, go and supply it. So I grabbed the offering, I put it in his hands, that's yours. You go ahead, buy whatever you need. Don't dodge Prayer, uh, don't dodge the action of faith by hiding behind your prayers. And that's what you see a lot of times in the ministry. You have pastors, they're in their office all day. Then you, you go in, you say, I'd like to meet with this person. Oh, he's in prayer. He, he's a prayerful man. You find out he's actually just sleeping the entire time. But instead of just actually going out to do the work. See, I'm not against prayer. Don't get me wrong. We pray. But there's certain things that the Lord said, there's no prayer needed for that. For example, this mountain that stands before you, Jesus didn't say he that prays to the mountain or prays for the mountain. It'll be uprooted and cast into the sea. Jesus said, if you'll say to this mountain, be thou uprooted, cast into the sea. He said, there's no prayer necessary. You, you're commissioned to go and get that thing done. Stop asking me to move the mountain. I've given you a mountain moving force called faith in your spirit. And if you just use it, everything you've been asking for, you'd see it come to pass. And it all goes back to the glory of God. Because he's the one that gives you the faith. He's the one that gives you the boldness. He's the one that confirms the word that you speak in faith. It's his power. It's not your power. It's his power. You got to turn that faith loose in order to release the power of God to affect the change in that area. So the two prayers God will not answer, specific prayers, is when you ask him to do something for you that he's already done. And you know what? A lot of you are thinking, well, he's done so much from the word. What will I ever pray for? Glad you asked. There's a prayer of consecration. Lord, what school do I go to? What church should I go to? What job should I have? What calling do I have? I'm seeking your counsel on this. I need your help with this. Those are all valid prayers of request, petition, prayer of consecration. Thy will be done. I'm going to do it, Lord. I commit myself. I dedicate myself to your holy calling. That's another type of prayer. But when we're talking about the prayer of request, you're asking him for things that he's already made clear. He's already dropped it into your lap. You're either ignorant 
You're unaware that you already have these things. Or B, you don't believe it. And the Bible says, he that is without faith ought not to expect anything from the Lord. And then the second specific prayer you shouldn't be praying that holds no power or weight is asking God to do things that he's already commissioned you to do. I pray this helped you. And I really want to pray right now for uh, a spiritual zeal for prayer to come into your heart right now. Two things. That God's going to drop in you a hunger for prayer and a hunger for his word. Because the word of God is what fuels your prayer life. I don't know what to pray. How do you pray for half an hour? How do you pray for... I'm telling you, you get into this book and start memorizing scripture, you're going to have... You're going to have all kinds of desires, God-given desires that are going to stir up in your spirit. And you won't have enough time to pray. You start to read of what God's done in these in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You start to read about all God's done through biblical history, and it generates a hunger in your spirit to pray those things, those same things into your own life. Because God desires to do to you what he's done through and to other men. That's why the Bible says, look to Abraham, your father. Look to Abraham, your father. Look to his lifestyle. That's the life I want you to have. But remember, Abraham was going around building altars to the Lord everywhere he went. And Abraham pitched his tent and built an altar. Pitched his tent and built an altar. He was always on the move, but everywhere he went, he never neglected the place of prayer. And so I'm going to pray that God puts a hunger for prayer into your life. But secondly, that the Lord will put in you an addiction an obsession for the word of God. I used to pray this because I had OCD. So I know what OCD is. But I used to pray, Lord, give me OCD for your word. Give me obsession that would compel me to study your word. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, for those that are watching me online and those on the replay, Brooklyn, Carol, Greg, Bella, Gloria, American Top Gunner, Lisa, um, Sharon, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I ask you now, pour out the vial of oil upon their heads all around the world. The oil, the anointing, the spirit of grace and supplication, a grace to pray, to press in in prayer, to carry a desperation in prayer. Father, I specifically ask, and I believe there's people watching me right now, you've almost thrown in the towel with prayer. You've lost heart, you've been discouraged. The devil's used that to keep you from the place of prayer. Today, I see the Lord fueling your prayer life with heart. The Bible says, men are always to pray and never to lose heart. Whatever heart that you've lost, God is going to reinvigorate your heart with a passion for prayer today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, it's being ignited on the inside of you. And also, the Lord is going to put in you an addiction. Those that are watching right now, an addiction to the Word of God. A holy obsession to study this book of the law, to be approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, to let not this book of the law depart from your mouth, but to meditate on it day and night and observe to do all that is in it. For then shall your way be prosperous and you'll have good success. Like Job said, I have longed for thy word more than my necessary food. A longing for the Bible will come in you more than you even long for food or any type of natural, natural uh, substance. In Jesus' mighty name, some of you are drug addicts and used to have more of a drive to smoke drugs than... Some of you were drug addicts, sorry. And you had more of a drive to smoke drugs than you have a drive to get in the Word. That's about to change. I'm telling you, whatever drive you had for smoking drugs, it's going to be an intensified drive that the Holy Ghost is going to give you to read the Bible and pray. 
You will be driven to your knees. You will be driven to the word. Just like the Bible says, the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to fast and pray. The spirit of God is going to drive you into intimacy with the father by the word and prayer. In Jesus mighty name, I release that grace into your life right now. If you receive that, shout amen. Put amen in the comment section. Hallelujah. If you're watching me now, you've never given your life to Jesus. You need to do that right now. Perhaps you have, but you've fallen astray. You're not living for the Lord like you know you have to live. And uh, you don't have absolute confidence that eternity, you'd spend in heaven. That, that, that um, you'd spend heaven in eternity. I want you to eliminate any question mark you may have concerning your eternal destination and get right with God right now. How do you do that? Simple. Admit you're a sinner. Believe Jesus rose from the dead and confess him as Lord today. Would you do that with me right now? Do it right now. I'm telling you, you'll never regret. I've never seen a man live for Jesus and regret it, but I've seen many reject Jesus and regret it. There's a real heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Make today the day where you settle your account with heaven, get rid of sin, make sure your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and have peace with God through Christ Jesus. Pray this with me right now. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Christ from the dead. I confess Jesus as Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I repent. Fill me with your spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. I will live for you all of my days. Heaven is my home. God is my Father, Jesus is Lord, and I'm never looking back. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would love for you to go to my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, fill it out, uh, and, and get that to you. I'm going to get something to you. I'm going to get a gift to you, a Bible, some reading material, free of charge. I'm going to get that to you as a way of saying welcome to the family of God. with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.